Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Janice, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, May 30th, 2013. We are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution, on page 21, and today we will begin with a paragraph, Here is the Fellow Who Has Been Puzzling You. The reference number for yesterday, which was Wednesday, May 29th, is 4548. That's 4548. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, Our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I'd now like to ask Edini to please read the 12 steps. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Edini, and I'm a very grateful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. The 12 steps. One. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being, the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10. Continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11. Sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood Him, praying only for knowledge of His will for us and the power to carry that out. And 12. Having had a spiritual awakening, as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. I thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Edini. I'd now like to ask Margaret to please read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Janice. Good morning, Vision for You. Thank you. This is Margaret, compulsive overeater. The 12 traditions. One, 
our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion, We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Margaret. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution. We are on page 21. And we're going to begin this morning with a paragraph, Here is the Fellow Who Has Been Puzzling You. And this morning I would like to ask Katie to please start. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater. Here is the fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He is always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world. It let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He's a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment, particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He's often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, but in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. 
He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down in his head by a senseless series of sprees. He is the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. Yet early next morning, he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. As matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine and some sedative with which to taper off. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. Wow, this is a very long and detailed paragraph of a low-bottom alcoholic. Um, so I just want to focus on one sentence um, because I could spend two hours talking about all these different things. But um, he is a fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around, yet early next morning he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. And I can identify so well with um, this um, this this person because that's who I became. I became the one who went to bed every night sick from binging and saying, I'm never going to do this again, and yet waking up and, you know, within a half an hour of being awake was um, popping, you know, gross combinations of sugary products um, into my body that I didn't even like. I didn't even like the taste of it, but it was just, like popping pills. I just had to have it. And, you know, this is um, this is where our disease takes us. And as, you know, someone shared yesterday, you know, we live in a country where there's more of a obesity. You know, we're in a society that uh, for the first time in history, a, um, a uh, society that is... Um, you know, first, not third world, not second world, but whatever it's called, where we um, are actually, our mortality rate is going down because of obesity and food-related um, illnesses and diseases. But I can't diagnose every person walking on the street as a compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety like I am. You know, but I am this person. I am the one that is... He, he does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. You know, and where where my disease took me is wanting to drive off the road. I wanted to kill myself because I couldn't stand living in my body that was so racked with uh, the mental obsession of, you know, just not able to function in life because I could not stop eating. And... You know, you can either identify in with this paragraph or you can identify out. Because, you know, quite frankly, we can cover it up pretty well, um, what the effect food has on us. We can rationalize and say that it's not that bad. But if you're doing, you know, if you are doing any of these things, 
then you know we've got a solution for you. I don't wake up in the morning thinking about eating today. I don't think about what I'm going to eat from one meal to the next. I don't have that mental gymnastics going on in my head anymore. And I could not do that until I put down the food. I could not do that until I picked up the spiritual toolkit that told me how to live differently. Because once you're at this point, it really seems like there's no normal left for you. Like, it's never going to be, you know, as someone else shares, you know, you have to keep lowering your standards in order to keep up with with where you are. And that's where I was. I mean, I was 27 years old living in one bedroom of a townhouse with five other people. And, you know, my bills were so high because I ate out all the time and I would collect the cash from people for the meal that they, their portion, and then I would use that money to spend it on groceries or on, you know, other food until I ran out of that money, and then I would start the whole cycle all over again. And, you know, there was no end in sight of, um, of me having any freedom in my life. And, you know, I, um, I'm here to tell you that it doesn't have to be that way, that my life is so much richer and fuller today and clear and out of that mental food fog that I lived in for years um, that I just thought this is the way it's going to be for me because I was so young when I started this way. I just thought that's the way my brain works. But, you know, it doesn't. I am free today. I do not have to um, debate anymore what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do, should I, shouldn't I, will I, won't I, how can I get it, will they notice, Will anybody come in right now while I'm doing this and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, I, I don't have to live that way. And it's not because I'm smart. It's not because I figured it out and I picked the perfect food plan and I weigh and measure perfectly. That mental torture is over. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? Sylvia? from Boston. I heard Rose and then Sylvia. Katie from Boston. Sorry. First Rose and then the next person. Thank you, Janice. Um, This is Rose, a very, very, very grateful recovered compulsive overeater. And um, I'll be brief here because this first... There is some noise on the phone. I don't know what it is. Um, But the first sentence, here is the fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. Well, as um, Katie was talking, uh, a memory came back to me of when I was 22, and I was the youngest of five kids, and I was the only one that graduated, that went to college. And it was my college graduation, and I come home to my mother and announce to her I'm not going to my graduation. So I think the impact of what's behind that might uh, touch you of the insanity, the insanity behind it. And my reasoning was just as insane. I, I I was drunk, essentially. I was drunk. I was a compulsive overeater, drunk on her 
herself and her life. And all I could see was that there was no reason for me to go to this graduation. Um, I, I And the next part is he is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That is the other one, that that shoe fits me. Because from then up until essentially last year when my recovery began, um, my life was constantly a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde with other characters in between of of not of living a life of total uh, meaninglessness and um and for myself, I always was more or less insanely drunk on sugar or carbs or whatever the particulars might combination might be but um this is so profoundly um, written here. I know I've been saying kind of the same thing for as we go through these paragraphs, but because I feel so strongly the same thing applies, that these words were penned uh, for me, really, you know, from God to Bill Wilson's ear to get it out in, on paper, that this stands out so strong to describe in such details what the emotional content is behind it. Obviously, you see, I, I, I can, I can just see that picture in my house and what I did to my mother. It, it ended up I went, but the woman had to be tortured due to my insanity um, as a result of being out of control with compulsive overeating. Thank you very much, and I'll pass. Press star one to unmute. Hi, this is Sylvia. Hi, Sylvia. Go ahead. Thank you. This is Sylvia, recovered compulsive eater in upstate New York. And um, I know that the the first so many times when I read this book, and I would read this and think, you know, well, you know, they're describing the alcoholic. They're not really describing the compulsive eater. Until, you know, until I kept on cleaning up, until I kept on getting, you know, getting recovered. And then, I, you know, I can so relate to this paragraph now, whereas at the beginning, I couldn't relate as much. And um, so when he, overall, when, he's talk, when uh, they're talking about the, the person who is um, mildly, seldom mildly intoxicated, more or less insanely drunk, and I didn't realize I was more or less insanely drunk until after I got sober because food is so, it, it, it's so um, insidious. So that when, once I got sober, my version of sober, once my food really got cleaned up so that I could even feel physically what was going on, it's so interesting because now if I eat something that has high sugar, even if it's not like refined sugar, but it... I, you know, so I will eat it, and I will feel the physical changes in in my brain, and it it doesn't feel great, but I can feel my disposition changing, and that's just what they're talking about in here is that disposition that I can feel myself getting um, uh, absolutely. I I feel depression and paranoia, and you know, but and it's subtle, 
but it's because I'm cleaned up all the time. Now I I can feel what it's hap- what's happening to me physically, which I couldn't before. And um, this one sentence, he is often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. But in that respect, he's incredibly dishonest and selfish. And I was amazed, even now I'm still amazed, at the, in the dishonesty to myself, to myself. And that's where I have to work on all the time. And the, um, because I want to, de- if I can deny to myself, then I can certainly deny to all of you. So I have to be very careful about being honest with myself and with God. And then the last thing I would like to share is um, when we talk about early the next morning, he searches madly for the bodily misplaced the night before. If he could afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets the entire supply away from him to throw down the the waste pipe. Um, And so I I had been trying to clean up my diet, but, you know, I'm living in fear. wasn't in recovery yet. And we were about to take a a big major um, trip on a sailboat offshore. And so I had decided, of course, I wasn't going to take any of binge foods. I wasn't going to take any of my alcoholic foods. And so um, it was like the night before we were due to leave, we were going to be out at sea for probably 10 days to two weeks. And the night before, all of a sudden, I, I, you know, this insane part of my brain, I realized that this was such a bad idea for me. I couldn't do it. And I went out and I got all my binge foods and I'm sticking them in various parts around the boat so that no one will have to see me, but I can get a fix if I need to. And, if I, you know, every time I've read that, I thought, my God, they were describing me. Uh, and so it absolutely applies to my eating. And thank God I don't have to live that way anymore. And, you know, we talk about the physical, you know, the physical part, and this absolutely describes the physical part and my gratitude is that my brain is quiet that is the real gift of recovery for me and with that i pass thank you so much for letting me share thank you sylvia Katie from boston i just julie i'd like to share Katie go ahead Katie, and then julie go ahead katie Thanks. good morning vision for you i'm katie i'm a compulsive overeater recovered from boston massachusetts and Grateful to be here with you guys today. Thank you, God. And um, when I got to this part in the work with my sponsor, um, I was reading through the first 63 pages of her, and um, I had to be convinced, right? I had to be devastated about my illness in order to move forward with with, with what was going to be and continues to be a very um, an entire, you know, the results of working with steps is an entire psychic change. So it's a very rigorous process. And in order to do that rigorous process, I had to be devastated. And when we were reading this, you know, like I needed to be convinced that I am a food addict and that I am a, you know, I, I, the lengths that I would go to for food. And I just had so many visuals during this reading about, you know, getting up at night and binging my brains out, falling asleep with food in my mouth, waking up with food in my mouth, not chewed, chewing it again, going for more, you know, and and um, and it would feel insane to me because, you know, I graduated from college and I got this job, which to me on the outside felt like, look, I'm doing it, guys. Like, this is success, right? Like, I should be fine, you know, and then 
instead of showing up at my job, I'm calling in fat to work. You know, I'm calling in, no, you know what, I, I just binged so badly that it hurts to get up in the morning and I can't get to work. Or I am, you know, coming into work late because I have to exercise and then I'm leaving at lunch because I have to exercise. And then I'm going to the, um, you know, completely powerless, I'm going to um, the vending machine, you know, or, um, you know, the, the, the social events that I wouldn't show up to or if I did, you know, like I had to have my stuff with me, you know, and I was seldom mildly drunk, you know, like I was either on, you know, this diet that was making me crazy or I was, you know, out and out binging my brains out, you know, and and to, to speak with that, uh, to talk about that with another woman, my sponsor, and to talk to her about the insanity, to share that insanity, that allergy of the body and you know, obsession of the mind to really smash home, like, that stuff was insane because I was, I was several years abstinent, whatever that means, when I was, um, when I, I was abstinent from my food, you know, but I wasn't abstinent, my behaviors when I did this, and it was really important for me to get in touch with that sense of ease and comfort that I was looking for and, and what the truth was because I can't binge out on the truth. And if I really can get to the truth, of what picking up my drugs is, is going to look like, you know, with God's help, and I have a spiritual awakening as the result of the steps, you know, I don't ever have to eat again. And that was the other important thing that my sponsor stressed home to me. Like, this chapter is called There is a Solution. Not there are lots of solutions, not there are multiple solutions, but there is a solution. You know, and for me that started with putting down the food, the drugs that were that were killing me, you know, and then having and then having another woman take me through the steps and show me, you know, my resentment, my selfishness, my dishonesty, and my fear, all of the things that manifested in my brain so badly that eating was a step up from how I felt. So I'm just really grateful to be on the line this morning to not be Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde today, um, and to have a solution that works. Thank you. Thank you, Katie. Go ahead, Julie. Hi, I'm Julie, a recovered compulsive overeater in California. Uh, there are so many um, places in this paragraph that I have marked. Um, you know, but I didn't have it marked when I, I worked the program for many, many years, since 81. I, I just have it marked since this last three or four months. You know, the, that he is seldom mildly intoxicated. He will always more or less be insanely drunk. Um, I just didn't overeat. It kind of goes back to the paragraph before, that hard drinker, that hard eater. I mean, I would binge, um, you know, six, seven, eight thousand calories in a day once I started. And then that just describes everything. And then I, I don't even appear to be Julie anymore. I'm irritable. I'm restless. I'm discontent. I'm selfish. I'm dishonest. Hiding food. Um, I mean, I had food so many places in the house, I mean, even in the bathroom. It, it didn't matter. It, as long as I could hide it, that my kids wouldn't see it or, or my husband. You know, and this is not a behavior of someone who's in the corporate world who gets up in front of hundreds of people and, and provides training. Um, it, while I'm doing this, I'm thinking about how can I get that food on the table? You know, how am I going to to be able to move from binge food to binge food and not let people see me? Well, I think they saw that I was 277 pounds and I was 5'2". But, you know, none of that 
stuff sunk in for me. You know, I was constantly consumed with either how I was going to get the food, what was I going to do with it afterwards, how could I get more, when I was going to start my next diet, and then, boom, I'd be smacked down into it again. And talking about he's a fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated, he had to sleep around the clock. I mean, the, the, the days, the months, the years added up where I would lay in bed and just pray to die because I was so sick to my stomach and I couldn't purge anymore. Um, and, you know, the difference now that I'm recovered is I get to go to bed, go over my nightly review, thank God, thank my friends, husband, whoever being in my life, and I don't have those stomach aches. And I don't have the aches in my head. That obsession, you know, that I was going to wake up and have that remorse. I mean, remember, you know, waking up and starting to remember what I had consumed the night before. Now I get up and it's like, okay, oh my God, is it 4 o'clock in the morning yet? i got to get on the phone call. That's what I get to wake up to. You know, it's this joy. So I, I just, this paragraph packs in so much. Um, it, you know, it has Julie written all over it. And the exciting thing is um, that's not me today. But I know that if I don't put God first, if I don't keep that food down by having my higher power, I, like, I could be that again if, if I rest on my laurels, like it says. Um, but, you know, today, I, you know, I, I have a plan. And um, I stick to it. I get to wake up tomorrow waiting for 4 o'clock to get on the phone meeting and not counting all the things that I ate. So, yeah, this is a great paragraph. And thank you so much for um, letting me share. Pass. Thank you, Julie. Judith. Monica. Kim, Judith, Monica, and then Kim. Um, Judith, first, did you say? Yes, go ahead, Judith. Thank you. Judith, compulsive overeater in Vermont. My disease progressed so that I was binging once a week, once a month, once every five weeks. And during the time that I'd be okay, I'd think, man, I sure was making a fuss about that food thing. And then the binge would hit. And then I'd be miserable. And I was living so that the, bin- the next binge was always around the corner, even though it wasn't today or tomorrow. It was always waiting for me, and I knew it. And finally, um, right before I came back to OA, I got sick, and I was stuck in the house for three weeks and, could- and couldn't stop eating. And uh, that pushed me back into the program. So... Um, just wanted to say it doesn't have to be continuous. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thanks, Judith. Go ahead, Monica. Thank you, Janice. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And wow, this paragraph has millions of things in it here. What is going on here? We are being given, uh, we're talking about the real alcoholic. The paragraph before said gave us the third classification of alcoholics, the real one who begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. And then this paragraph here is going on to describe us, 
us real alcoholics. It's giving a picture of us, giving a picture of me, myself, and I, you know, myself will run riot. And we need to identify, not compare. You know, when I first read this stuff, this was, oh, this is interesting to read, you know, and I just, oh, well, I'm not as bad as this person. I don't do this. I don't do that. I compared. I compared. Now, I need to identify. Once I started identifying with this, it's like, yes, I am a real compulsive overeater. And what's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? You know, you go from a nice, sweet, Monica would go from a nice, sweet, caring person to a bitch in a second. Don't get between me and my food. Once I got onto the food, into a binge, you know, people beware you know, I changed. I went from a nice, you know, calm, nice mother to a, you know, a screaming mother at her kids because they were getting in the way of me and my food. That's a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And he's often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor. And here was a big place to, for me to compare. It was like, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I'm not as bad as these people over here. I have uh uh, I'm sensible and well-balanced in the rest of my life. But in doing this work and going through the uh, steps, Monica learned in her fourth-step inventory that she was very dishonest, very selfish. It was all me, me, me. And here's a fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. Yet early next morning he searches madly for the bottle. You know, how many times... Monica went to bed after binging her brains out, hurting all over, so uncomfortable, can't, you know, can't sit up, can't lay down, it just hurts. Going to bed, not sleeping because I'm so hot from my body trying to burn off all I'd eaten, bad dreams, you know, going to bed saying, I'm never going to do this again. I've had it, it's done, it's over with, I'm going to be good tomorrow. And getting up in the morning, and what did I do? Right back in the food. And I will pass. Oh, one more thing I wanted to say. Um, perhaps he goes to a doctor, give him morphine or some sedative with which to taper off. Well, I didn't get the morphine or the sedative, but I got a nice little Prozac. Well, I had to identify with stuff. this stuff. I did do this. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. Go ahead, Kim. Thanks, Janice. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. I'm going to um, pull out this line. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. I mean, just look at the first three alcoholics. I mean, Bill, we saw in his story. You know, he was in the jazz club at the country club with paper millions. And then he would go to where his wife was working in a department store. He was having to live with his in-law. He was dragging his mattress to the first floor because he was afraid he was going to leap out the window. So this is a talented, talented man. Now, the second alcoholic is a doctor. The third alcoholic is a lawyer. We compulsive overeaters are talented people. Talented people. How many times did I find that latest diet? I'm going to eat this diet shaker. I'm going to join this diet group. And I'm doing well. And everything seems to be going my way. 
and then I pull it down by a senseless spray. You know, I remember I, I belonged to a gym and I lost weight, and I was actually the before and after picture. They put up a little blurb that I wrote. It was a picture of me being heavy and a picture of me after. And then I had to stop going to the gym because I, I wound up putting the weight back on. You know, I remember going in college. I had an 8 a.m. class that I wound up having to, to, you know, schedule the final because I couldn't get up at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I went to go find out where to take the final, and I was nervous I'd, I'd see my teacher because I didn't know what my teacher looked like because I never got up for class. But I'm a smart girl. You know, this is, this is the insanity. We, we get these, we are these talented people who pull it down, and I'd like to say to stop when we come to Overeaters Anonymous. But think about how many times you've done this in a way. Our families have gotten, you know, oh, she's back in a way. It's going to be okay again. And we get some abstinence behind us, and we're starting to feel good, and we're not as angry, and we're not lashing out. And then suddenly we pick up and we're off. How many times have we volunteered to help on a retreat or help on a special program or lead a meeting or do this, and then we pick up and we never show up? We never show up for that commitment. So this is not only about what happens before we come to OA, but think about what we do in OA. The periods of abstinence, and then we pick up. The periods of absence, and we pick up. And we are affecting all of those around us who are so afraid that we are going to die this time. And no, 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 this time will be different. This time I quote-unquote got it. I am back on track. Because I know my experience is once I pick up, I call it straw vision. Once I pick up, I have peripheral vision. Once I pick up, I'm looking through a straw, and the only thing that matters is getting my food. So all those good things that I did, doing better on my job, having better relationships, are pulled down by a senseless series of sprees. And if you want to learn more about that, that next, this next chapter, more about alcoholism, is going to talk about it. Because more about alcoholism isn't going to talk about the insanity when we're drunk. More about alcoholism is going to talk about the insanity when we're abstinent. All those stories, the jaywalker, Fred, Jim, the man of 30, those are all men that are sober, sober, and the insanity of picking up again. And that's what this is talking about. He uses his gifts to build. I think we lost you. I think we lost you, Kim. Well, this is Janice, and I am a compulsive overeater recovered today. Thank you, God. You know, I'd like to I'd like to talk a little bit too about this paragraph. You know, here is the fellow who has been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. His lack of control. You know, we are we are studying here about the different levels, the different kinds of alcoholic. And this guy, this guy now, this fellow who has been puzzling you is the one who's doing these absurd, incredible, tragic things. But I could I could see myself in this paragraph because like it says in Bill's story on page five, it says liquor had ceased to be a luxury. It had become a necessity. And I don't know if you're a compulsive overeater of my type, but that's what happened to me. I was in the grips of a progressive illness, fatal, 
fatal progressive illness. And I had crossed that line. Somewhere, some sometime, I couldn't give you the exact moment, but it had ceased to be just a bad habit. It had ceased to be something I could control. It now became a necessity, and I had to have it. I had to have it. And the ways in which I went about having it got crazier, more absurd, more tragic. But I couldn't stop. I couldn't stop once I started, and I couldn't stop myself from starting again. And that's exactly what they're talking about here. You know, his, his disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature but little. His normal nature but little. When I started compulsively overeating, I was a different person. I was a different person. And even when I didn't want to be that different person, even when I wanted to control it and to stop it, I couldn't. I couldn't. He begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. Once I picked up that first bite, there was no telling where that first bite was going to take me because it was never just one bite. Never. Once I picked up that first bite, I was gone. I was gone and there was no telling where I would end up. Just like this man. Just like this man. It differentiates me from other people. It, it points out how I am different from the normal eater. Even the hard eater, even somebody who overindulges occasionally and gets back on track. I could no longer fool myself. Why such a lack of control? Why? Because I am a compulsive overeater of that type. I have an allergy of the body. And once I pick up that first bite and that allergy kicks in, that phenomenon of craving, there's no stopping me. There's no stopping me. And as, as it's been described by other people, that's a do- Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality that happened to me. All of a sudden, I was someone you would not recognize. And when I wanted to stop and I couldn't stop, even when something important was coming up, and I said, this time, this time, I am going to get myself ready for this occasion, this event, this and before, right before, I would pull down everything around my head because I couldn't stop myself from picking up that first bite. And when I picked up that first bite, it was over. It was over. And with that, I'll pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Leah. Oh, I had Leah. Thank you, very Thank you Janice. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Lama, recovered compulsive overeater. Well, this is a nice trip down memory lane this morning. Uh, in case I forgot who and what I was, uh, the big book's doing a fabulous job reminding me of why I do what I do today. Uh, he is the fellow who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. Yet early the next morning, he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. Yeah, I'd have a blowout binge. You know, there I was, newly married to this wonderful man. You know, I'd make up some excuse of why I needed to leave the apartment for a while, you know, and 
kind of sit and nurture my relationship with the contents of a cellophane bag and bakery boxes and containers of ice cream on my lap, you know, in a parking lot in the dark for hours on end while this wonderful husband awaits me at home. I'm making love to, uh, you know, (laughs) to these substances that for some, uh, you know, in some way um, had been uh, changing the way I, I felt and making the world less threatening. And that had been the truth for a long time for me, for a long time for me. Um, this speaks about, you know, protecting supply. You know, I was protecting supply. Uh, I'd make sure I had, you know, stuff uh, in the car and in the cabinets at home in order uh, so that I could, uh, you know, binge at my heart's desire. Uh, just a few things I'll pull out here, which are, um, you know, truths of the disease. It says, as matters grow worse, and this speaks to the progression of the disease. I mean, I was the kind of kid that uh, had the allergy of the body at a very young age, um, very young age, and matters did grow worse. You know, this progression in terms of the quantity of substances I was allergic to, uh, the list grew very long. And in terms of the obsession of the mind, I mean, that beast kept whispering uh, in my ear constantly and delivering to me the option of picking up. You know, I felt unmanageability long before I took my first uh big blowout binge, and I felt the same degree of unmanageability long after um, I tried to stop binging. It was this unmanageability, this rough time living. You know, I didn't have a rough time compulsively overeating. I knew how to do that very well. I had a rough time living. It says, as matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedative and liquor to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. I identify in with that. I mean, I had a job. uh, You know, I would make sure to leave the house an hour before I was due at work so I could have enough time to hit some, you know, drive-throughs and other establishments on the way in and load up. You know, I had this large coach bag, and I would just load up with all kinds of junk and, uh, you know, fixes so that I could constantly jab that syringe, that IV into my vein every day throughout work. So it's constantly feeding this disease. It says, then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. When I did put the food down, obviously, that's when I would be dealing with the most dangerous part of my illness. The most dangerous part of my illness is when I tried to be sober. Why was it the most dangerous part of my illness when I was food sober? Because I was thinking about eating. (laughs) because the real problem centers in my mind telling me it's okay to take that first bite then in my body that ensures that I can't. So the most dangerous part of my disease was when I did separate from food, but then comes the day when he simply can't make and gets drunk all over again. That's when I would invite the disease back in. I would succumb to the disease. That's the wording of the doctor's opinion. We are restless, irritable, and discontent until we can again experience the sense of ease and comfort which comes from those first few bites. 
You know, I would swear at the end of the night, I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm tired of living my life this way. I've been living like this since I was a, a kid, since I was three years old, five years old. I'm now uh, 20, 22, 23. You know, I, I've been doing, I've been living for decades in this mayhem. I'm not going to do it. That's it. That's the end. I'm through. You know, the plug is in the jug. Everybody's going to be happy now. I'm going to be that real wife I want to be. And all of a sudden, I would change my mind. And taking a bite of my binge food seemed like the best idea I'd had in a long time. You know, so I invited it back in. I invited it back in because I compulsively overate to change the way I felt and to make the world less threatening. And that is called compulsive overeating. That's the disease. And that's why the program of recovery is not about stopping drink, you know, stopping compulsive overeating. It's about staying stopped. I've stopped thousands of times. How do you stay stopped? How do you apply this process of recovery to every facet of your life? Well, the, the, the steps allowed me to get to a place where I was comfortable food sober. And, and I was relieved of the obsession and compulsion for food. And no longer had that beast whispering in my ear. And boy, am I grateful every day for that. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. And did I hear Barrett? Yeah, this is Barrett, the compulsive overeater. Go um, ahead, Barrett. When I, thank you. When I think about Dr. Um, Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, um, and I think about the obsession of the mind, and I think about, you know, so many times I was sober, not eating for, let's say, a few days or a few weeks, yet before going through the steps, before taking care of the obsession of the mind, even though I did not insert food to my body, I was still in fight, in fight about the compulsive thought of when am I going to get my next portion. And just thinking about normal life, when I am supposed to take care of my kids, to go to work, to concentrate on the things I'm supposed to, to achieve at work. And all I'm thinking about is the next bite or, or the struggle. I'm going to take it. No, I'm not going to take it. I'm going to take it. This is hell. And so just being sober doesn't mean that I'm recovered. Being sober, meaning before going through the steps, means that I'm still in struggle. I'm just, it's a, it's a muscle. And if it's a muscle, it's still me, myself, and I. Because no one else can take this obsession of the mind but from God. And if I'm the one that is trying to control this, I'm still in great danger. Great danger that the end of it is promised and, know, and known ahead of time. And in order to really get to serenity, all I have to do is surrender and go through the steps. Only by, as a result of the steps, we get closer to God. As a result of the steps, we recover. Otherwise, it's just dieting. And for real compulsive overeater, there is no such a thing as succeeding to diet. And with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Vera. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph before we move this on? Is, 
This is Paula. May I share? Go ahead, Paula. Thank you. This is Sharon in Colorado. Paula and then Sharon. This is Paula. You know, I'm going to scoot right on down to almost the end because this is where it is. Very appropriately, then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and he gets drunk all over again until that day comes and you think you have something left. You must know there is nothing left. It's like you go to the ocean and you sit there and the waves are beautiful and they're coming in. Ah, the beginning. But then they turn on you. All of a sudden the storms come and that wave continues to come. You say, well, no, no, it's going to stop. The wave isn't going to stop, honey. You can't stop it. But you see the wave changes and soon it becomes a tidal wave and a tsunami and it takes everything down in its path. That's with disease. You need to see you in here. I saw me, and until I could see me, I couldn't understand that wave was coming. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Go ahead, Sharon. Are you there, Sharon? Press star one. All right, I think we lost, Sharon. Can you hear me? I can hear Hello? you now. Oh, okay. Go ahead. <laughs> I, okay, sorry. I have a new phone. It's driving me crazy. But I <clears throat> I just want to tell everyone on the line today, thank you, because um, I have so identified in on this uh, paragraph today, and um, it helps me understand and see why I had such a struggle uh, staying stopped. And um, the obsession of the mind and the unmanageability of my life. And um, even though I was sober many years from another substance, I still was so lost in this bondage of uh, food addiction because I, I could not or would not see it as uh, seriously as my other substance of alcohol, and yet when each one of you shared, it was just like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, and how many times that day would come when I would go back out there over some, um, I guess the most recent one to share, because I guess that's the one that's really brought me back to this meeting, meeting line is um, in December of 2010, and I had 10 months of back-to-back abstinence, was going to celebrate my first year in February of of 2011. And because of an incident with my daughter, and it was so insidious, it was so, I mean, I just see it in its painful reality right now, but I was so angry that she wasn't going to come over Uh, Christmas Day, and I remember sitting on the couch talking with my sister a little bit about that, and and then I go into the kitchen with, and I see this uh, bowl on the table with these nuts that are in the shell with all the little things you pick out the nuts with, 
that used to be my parents had that every single Christmas. You know, we always talked about the the squirrel bowl is what we called it. And and there I am thinking, oh well, you know, I I can eat I can eat those nuts in the shell. My gosh, remember we had that every year at Christmas, and and that's how it started. That's how it started, but it didn't end there. I was totally insane with food that whole day. And there were other people here, not just my daughter was missing. There was a whole group of people here. But I was so angry and so focused on the fact that she wasn't coming. That's the insanity of the mind. That's the obsession of the mind. And I pulled that down on me again, just like it says here, you you have some gifts, you start to build up a bright outlook for your family, and then you pull the whole structure down on your head by a senseless series of sprees, binges. And after about three or four days, and I thought, oh my gosh, what have I done? I called my sponsor. I'm trying to get back on track, quotes, you know, that was one of my crazy lines. And, and I couldn't. I couldn't. I couldn't go back from where I had had 10 months of abstinence to back to being sane with food again. And then that lasted for two and a half years until I started coming and listening to this meeting. But I have never identified into the degree with this that I did today. So I thank each one of you, and um, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. We have time for one short share before we close. Go ahead, Adini. Thank you. I had a deadly romance with the food. I practiced day in and day out for so many years to have such a strong relationship with the food, and it had a hold on me. It controlled me, and it possessed me. And I totally surrendered to the food, and it governed my emotions, and we rode that emotional roller coaster together. And then I ended up bringing everybody on that emotional roller coaster. Well, good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. Today, I have a wonderful, peaceful relationship with the food. Today, the food does its job. It nurtures my body. And God governs my thoughts, words, and actions just as long as I never, ever let go of his hand. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Rittini. Well, we'll close the meeting here. Thank you to everybody who has shared today. Thank you to the people who were on board with me, Rini and Margaret and Katie and Penny C and Esther and Kathy Kay. Thank you all so much. And we will now close with a reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. And Penny C., are you available to read that for us? Yes, thank you. Here I am, Janice. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order, but obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. 
Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.